Hello, friends. It's been a while since I've posted an episode of My Obsession because, uh, well, I've been working on season two of the show. Season one was released last October, and it was a huge success. Thanks for all the guests that I had on the show. Thanks for all who helped share and get the word out. And especially thank you for listening. I had over 1,200 listens, I think, across 11 episodes. And that's kind of mind-boggling to me because it was really fun to do. And I'm surprised that it was fun to listen to. But thank you, really. Season 2 is coming this spring, actually, so be prepared for that. Uh, In the meantime, though, this is a special episode that I wanted to go ahead and get up. Uh, For those who don't know, I work at an amazing church called High Rock and do community there with an amazing group of people who I love very, very much. And part of my role in this church is leading an event that we call Stout Faith. Uh, Long story short, basically, is that a few years ago, there were a group of home brewers in our community that approached us and asked how they could serve the church with their love of brewing beer. And then Stout Faith was born. And so just about every other month for the past two years, we've had a Stout Faith event. And at each event, we typically will invite a speaker from the community that knows a lot about something. And they lead a discussion on that topic. And then we sit at tables and we talk about it for a few hours over craft beer and food. It's pretty great. There's not many places left in the world for empathetic, understanding and respectful environments for honest discussion. So this is kind of our way of providing that. The Stout Faith team recently met to plan for our February event. And as we were brainstorming different ways to promote the February event, it hit us that this podcast platform, My Obsession, would be actually a great way to promote and preview the topic and the speaker. And so this episode is an interview with the Stout Faith speaker later in February. It's not part of season one or season two. I'm kind of seeing it as part of like a Stout Faith special series breakout episode or whatever. Uh, But the episode is just existing to give space for the conversation because it's a conversation that's a good one and it's worth having and it's worth sharing. And this is a platform that fits that rather nicely. So at the end of the month, uh, my guest of this episode, Lynette Lavasco, is our speaker at Stout Faith and she's coming to lead a discussion on foster care. Uh, And also on this episode, my good friend and fellow Stout Faith team member, Kira Drescher-Dennis, also joined us. I'll let them share more about themselves on the episode, but it is a very good conversation that impacted me in ways I didn't think it would. And so before I push it over to the episode, one more thing. If If you do live in the greater Boston area and you're listening to this, and you are free on the night of February 25th, that's a Sunday. We are meeting for our Stout Faith event on foster care at the House of Seven Gables in Salem, Massachusetts at 6 p.m. Come on by, get a beer. Pete Harkins, who was episode one on season one of My Obsession with Backbeat Brewing Company, he brews tons of beer for the event. We drink beer, we eat snacks, and we talk about whatever the topic is. So we're going to be doing that with foster care later on this month. I'll drop more info on that event on the show notes of this of the show here, but we'd love to have you there and bring your voice to the discussion. Uh, more voices equals more diversity, which always is a good thing. So that's it for the long introduction. Again, my obsession season two is coming later this spring. Stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, let's kick it over to Lynette and Kira. Enjoy it. It's a good one. This is a podcast where I talk to people about the things they're obsessed with. 
My name is Marcus Privet, and this is my obsession. Well, we are here for another episode of My Obsession. This is a special breakout episode with two guests. This is actually the first time that we've done three three people in an interview. So oh, you guys really? are Very you guys fun. are making history right oh. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourselves? Uh, I'm Lynette Lavasco. I uh, I'm a local mom and also a foster mom and. Uh, an enthusiast for um, all things foster care. All things foster care. Awesome. I'm Kira Drescher. I am part of the Stout Faith team. Um, I'm also a social worker and very interested in foster care. So it's also why I'm here. When I scheduled this interview with you, I just <clears throat> it made too much sense to have Kira here. Absolutely. Like this is. I feel like so much of this is just going to be me getting out of the way and letting you guys. <laughs> I love social workers. Especially <laughs> good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Before we pressed record, actually, they were ripping out like a 20-minute social worker <laughs> conversation. <laughs> so, um, okay, well, so Lynette, let's start with you. Yes. Do you just want to share how you embarked on the journey of foster care in general? Sure. So my husband and I both grew up around um, foster care. We didn't, my husband and I met in our mid-20s. And after we have, we have three biological children um, that are now 15, 13, and 10. And when we had my daughter uh, at age 10, I decided I didn't want to be pregnant again after her, but we didn't feel like our family was complete. Hmm. So fast forward seven years, and they say it takes about seven exposures to foster care before people really start to get um, interested in it and excited about it. So And and define exposure there. So it could be... Like my son, <coughs> his bus driver was a foster parent, and another. I have another son whose mom is a social worker. So got it. And then we, um, people we were attending church with, we didn't even know when we started attending the church that there was a foster care support ministry within the church. Hmm. So we had just fast forward to April of 2015. We filled out our preliminary application to become a foster family, and we started our class in June of that year. So there's a couple different types of placements you can have. You can have a permanent placement, which we actually have three of those right now in our home. Um, So we have six kids right now. You can do respite, so we will cover for other foster families. Um, We've done emergency care, too. So all things combined, we've had roughly 20 kids through our home in two and a half years. That's crazy. Wow. And when you say that out loud, can you believe it? It makes me sad. It makes me very, very sad because some of them have been in foster care for over two years. We have two little mm-hmm. ones in our home that are coming up on two years in foster care. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me sad because these kids need permanency. Yeah. So we got our first foster daughter. We finished our MAP classes on a Wednesday. And the following Monday, I got a phone call asking if we would take a baby girl home the next day. And I just signed up to go back to school. That's um, crazy. Wow. That quick of a turnaround? Yes. Okay. Because they were desperate. <laughs> so I said, I told my husband, I called him up at work and I said, tell me we can't take a baby. And he said, we can't take a baby. I'm like, but I really feel like God wants us to take this baby. So he said, well, do you have any information on her? And I said, no. I said, why did you call the social worker? Mm-hmm. That's somebody, we got off the phone and I paced the floor and he called me back and he said, we're taking a baby. Hmm. I was able to get my money back from going to school. And it's what's interesting is I haven't had the desire to go back to school since we started since fostering. Then. Like this is 
it's not a job, but it's like, mm. I feel like it's my calling as a mom yeah. um, to help out other kids. So we met her that night, my husband and I and the three kids, kids got to see her through the window. Um, her name's Gianna and mm. she was four weeks old at the time. Wow. Um, so we got to bring her home the next day from the hospital and she spent six months with us. And what was neat about that situation was we're still in touch with her parents. We, I gave them my phone number when we dropped her off at seven months old. They were in a treatment program. And I said, it's up to you if you want to stay in touch. And it took about 10 days, and they texted me with a picture of her. Huh. And we texted from then on. They completed their program. Uh, it was a year-long program. And then we helped them get stuff for their apartment. They want That's us to amazing. be her godparents. Like, we have stayed in touch. And that was... She's now two and a half, so we've stayed wow. in touch the entire time, which is really neat. And is that common? It really isn't. But what I have found is that foster parents have the opportunity to build a relationship. They can be scared of the birth parents, or they can build a relationship. And not mm-hmm. every situation is safe. Um, it's probably not safe for everyone to be you know, friends with the birth parents while they're going through the process. Mm-hmm. But I think as long as you continue to respect the birth parents for what they are because they are the parents of these kids. Mm. It, it definitely makes for a better relationship. Yeah. So after that, we got another little boy two months later. I got a text from my social worker asking me if there was any room in the inn. Mm-hmm. And I called her <laughs> back and I said, what do you need? She said, we just removed six kids, basically ages from 11 to 11 and a half months. Wow. What would you like? So I thought, I'll just go with the little one. I like little ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that turned into 19 and a half months of figuring out a very neglected little boy. Um, we found out that, you know, he had multiple medical issues going on. Mm. And then we, we did get to the point where we decided as a family that um, he did more than we could give him. Yeah. Because he was one of six at the time. <laughs> and he is now with this amazing foster mom not too far away. Like this Monday, coming Monday, I'm going to be babysitting him because he doesn't have daycare and she has to work. So we still FaceTime with him. He knows all my kids. It's it's still a beautiful relationship, but mm-hmm. he's in a home by himself. So okay. he gets he needs he's getting all the attention that he needs. And you right. sensed that he needed that in your time. I with did. Him. I did. Mm-hmm. And my kids needed more. We had done a couple hospital stays with him and it was just too much on our family, mm-hmm. on the other five kids that were in the home. Right. To have one of us gone. And it was a lot. My husband was missing time from work. I own my own business. So I was missing time from work. And I just, we needed, we just weren't at the point in our life where we could take care of a medically complicated child. Yeah. Mm. Um, But he's doing great now. We figured out a lot of his medical issues. Mm. So it's made it a lot easier for his current foster mom. Yeah. Mm. What's the age range that you have had with kids? Like, what's the oldest? The oldest we've had was 13. We had him for a week this summer. Okay. And then the youngest would be four weeks. How's it with a 13-year-old? You know what? I had no, We had known him for a while. Mm. We actually, his brother that moved on to the other foster home, it, he was the oldest brother of that family. Oh, wow. He was with one foster mom, and we were like the in-between one-week placement. Mm-hmm. And he was only with us really for a few days because he went off to Boy Scout camp. But um, he was a joy to have around. Mm. Huh. It, he was just, you know, great kid, great personality, a little sarcastic, mm-hmm. but I liked that. We had his brother with us for uh, a week, and he was fabulous. We currently have an almost seven-year-old who's yeah. definitely got a strong personality. Um, we have his baby sister who we've had since she was eight weeks old. She just mm-hmm. turned two this week. She is 
absolutely amazing. Um, and then, you know, we had a little girl for a month because she was, her, her grandmother was getting approved to take her. Mm. So we were just kind of the in-between huh. until she went into, so when family takes on kids, it's called a kinship placement. So the grandmother, is she's now with the grandmother and through the social worker, we've stayed in touch. You know, I've been able to like send clothes to her and kind of just help out the grandmother as much as I can. And then we have this little guy that we picked up on Monday. So the goal is that he'll be reunited with his mom within the next few weeks if she's making, if she's doing all the things that she needs to do. But we we have him indefinitely at this point. So we're just, you know, helping him gain some weight and getting stronger. Right. It's a lot of fun. My kids love the itty bitty babies. So really? I can imagine they're in, they're in heaven. Yeah, my ten yeah. year old daughter is just <laughs> phenomenal with him. Something stuck out to me in your story just now that you kind of blew by that I wanted to like zoom in on was is the conversation with you and your husband. So you said it takes around seven exposures, uh-huh. right? So I'm assuming that at some point you had a right around that number. Yes. And then you finally came and had that conversation together. We did. What was that like? Can you remember details about that night or like the I, I feeling of I'm about to jump into this and this is terrifying? Um, I think it was just we both felt a strong piece about what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, his mom's, growing up, his mom's best friend was a foster parent. Okay. So he was around it a lot. Growing up, one of my mom's really good friends Back in the day, you could have, like, you could work with multiple agencies. You could just have a ton of foster kids. Yeah. Um, so I grew up around it, too. <clears throat> Growing up, I was in a church where the pastor and his wife had several foster children, so I used to babysit for them. Yeah. So for both of us, it was always a very positive experience mm-hmm. because we we saw great people being foster parents. Right. And that's what we wanted to do. So we took the class. And some of the stuff that they tell us in the class, I literally, like, would get anxious about and want to, like, run screaming from the room. I was actually wanted to ask you about those classes. Like, what, were your, what yeah. was your experience? So the classes are 30 hours. So sometimes okay. they tend to do them on a rolling basis. There was just a class recently that our church actually hosted where it was four Saturdays. It was, like, nine, like 9.30 to 5, which I wish we had had that option because ours mm. was... 10 Wednesday, 10 Wednesday nights from 6 to 9. Oh, that's brutal. Over, over the summer. Yeah. Jeez. That is brutal. Yes. Wow. So we made that, like, date night. We'd, like, drop the kids <laughs> with our parents at, like, yeah. 4, 30, 5 o'clock, grab an early bite to eat, and get to the class by 6. Nice. Super wow. romantic date night. Uh, yeah. 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 Exactly. But it's... And it's not really a class about how to take care of these kids. Mm. It's a class about, like, what, are they, what have they been exposed to, it helps you determine like what age group you can do because you hear about what the different requirements are. Mm. Um, like we take and take newborns because I work from home. So for instance, like this morning I had um, one client. So my parents came over and babysat for an mm. hour because my office is in my house. Nice. So there aren't many people that can take newborns. Babies can't go into daycare. And I personally believe that babies that are born and brought home from the hospital, because a lot of times there's an addiction issue mm-hmm. or babies are withdrawing off of something they've been exposed to I really don't think those babies should go into daycare until four to six months at least just because mm. they have lower immune systems and just yeah they need more time Absolutely. I don't that's my personal opinion and that's why my right. husband and I made this decision to do mm-hmm. the little ones yeah with like with my situation we can do it so other people babies it's it's crazy babies can start daycare some daycares around here at four weeks old what yeah yeah it, oh yeah four oh, to six man. weeks old oh yeah they're too little like especially these little guys, I I, I just that's just my own personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some people really want to do you know newborns and 
But I just, I don't know how you could do a newborn and work full time. I really think that that's not fair to yourself. I mean, it's totally my opinion, but I'm doing it now. I'm like every three hours during the night, I'm up Mm. with this little guy and I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) he's really cute, but (laughs) yeah. And before we were talking about, before we started the podcast, we were talking about your faith and like how important that is and to why you are where you are right now and you're with all these kiddos. What would you say is that really calling for you from your faith or from scripture that has kind of, that aligns you with foster care or has like pushed you on with it? I think for me, it was like, Jesus called us to care for the orphans and the children. These kids are orphans, regardless of whether they have birth parents, Mm -hmm. but their birth parents can't take care of them right now. Something has happened. So these children are left without parents. Mm -hmm. The government is now their parents. I, I sometimes think about... But DCF, how I sometimes feel like DCF is like, like I'm the nanny. I wait for the parents to tell me what I can and can't do. Like, and sometimes the communication is fabulous. I've had awesome social workers, and then I've worked with other ones that, mm-hmm. you know, I can send an email and it's crickets for days. Right. Um, yeah. It's a hard profession to not be good at emailing. It, yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, our first social worker, we never once emailed ever. She always called me. Always, mm. always calls me back, and to this day we still have a wonderful relationship. Like when we, my first foster daughter, when she went to um, be with her parents, I was sobbing because she was my baby. Mm. I mean, I did all the feedings for six months. Like, uh, I mean, we went to Florida when we had her, and her parents wanted her to go with us because they wanted her to travel. Mm. She was four months old at the time. It was the only time in the six months, the six nights we were there, it was the only time she ever slept through the night. Wow. <laughs> So, that's like, amazing. that's a lot of feedings that I was doing in the middle of the night with yeah. this baby girl. And there were times she didn't want to sleep, so we'd go out in the living room, and I'd be folding laundry, and she'd be in her bouncy seat. Our little guy, who's six, DCF actually encourages us to take them to church. Mm-hmm. Um, he Interesting. Does a, he does a boys' program on Wednesday nights. He's so excited, because right now they're building cars and painting them. And mm. I'm not surprised by that, because, I mean, in social work, spirituality is a strength. is always listed huh. as, when we do, like, a strengths and needs assessment... Uh-huh. Spirituality, religion is always listed, is always under a strengths. What about category. it, do you think? Well, one, because it connects people to community. So, so many, I mean, if we're talking about foster care and kids, like, so sometimes the families they come from are really isolated. And having kids connected to a community environment and also churches, um, well, any kind of re- a lot of religious institutions and still like beautiful values of like commitment and love and care and so I think it's the community I think it's the values um and also um I mean even we studied and I studied in school as a social worker that spirituality and religion causes people to be they feel like believe that they are part of something greater than themselves Mm -hmm. and therefore that is a strength to instill in a child that there is there whether whatever that spirituality is that they if they feel connected to something that is bigger than them studies show that will cause them to be more successful in life so and yeah i think that's i think that's why it's always a strength and i'm not surprised that dcf is is chill with that like it's a it's a great thing and it's really neat to listen to our little guy pray because you really know where his heart is you know when he prays and asks that mommy doesn't say bad words or that mommy will stop smoking like things like that Mm. you really know like where he's at you know even about himself that you know he'll tell the truth like he'll I, I just, it's very interesting when my husband will do prayers with him or I'll do prayers with him. We'll discuss later, like, oh, Julian said this tonight. And it's just, 
I just I absolutely love it because it mm. really can keep me in touch right. with what's going on in, inside of him. Right. Yeah. That's what awesome. is it like meeting a kid for the first time? These like small moments, I think you can't really feel in statistics or reports. So I'll just grab, like our first little one that we met. Mm-hmm. I I've had some issues in the past with anxiety, so we went to Salem Hospital. Mm-hmm. I really I thought it was gonna have a panic attack because here I was in the hospital with someone else's baby, little tiny. She wasn't even six pounds at the time, baby girl. Um, but we brought her home. I mean, for you, when you say I was in the hospital with somebody else's baby, like, like what, what's the rub there for you? I think it's because having brought home three of my own babies from the hospital, I can't imagine anyone else doing that. Uh, Mm. And the next day I brought, brought my car seat in or actually I brought the night before so they could do a little test on her. But Uh I brought her home in my car with my car seat. And it was just, it was surreal because that's not the way it's supposed to be. You sensed that something was awry here. Yeah. Yeah. Our second little guy showed up in a, disgusting dirty car seat that I ended up throwing away um and I gave him a new one because he just come from a really you know deplorable condition house yeah and he was stiff as a board you could just see this the the trauma how old again he was 11 and a half months and then our little people that we have now I had I was at my office and my husband texted like I had clients that were booked Mm -hmm. at the time I had an office um at the coming center one of my clients sent me home she's like why are you here you just need to go home because I showed her a picture I'm like look what was just dropped off at my house and it was this little baby nine pound mm-hmm. little girl and her brother and uh, I went home and my husband handed me the baby and it was kind of surreal because we had just said goodbye to the other little girl a month before and I was still missing mm-hmm. her and I looked at her I'm like am I going to be able to love this baby as much as I loved the last one mm-hmm. the little boy was just running around chasing after my daughter like he was just already into what was going right. on and <laughs> so he didn't really have anything to do with me that first mm-hmm. night so I was like okay you know I can handle a four year old yeah you fast forward to almost two years later and I cannot imagine having not having this little girl in my life I mean mm. I am mummy to her she calls me mummy my husband is daddy um, so it just goes to show like those relationships can, can definitely change mm. another one was we had a little girl in October that was dropped off for a month the social worker just pulled into the driveway and I'm like running across the street my son was running cross country at the park across the street Uh so I'm like hello 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 and literally she just plopped this little blonde 10 month old baby into my arms and is there like is there like paperwork to do in that moment I they have me I I sign one spot (laughs) and then give you a child and then they leave and then they leave and then they leave yes (laughs) Yeah. Like, here you go. You're like, you're... And uh, it just... It really, it's, it really is surreal. Mm. What has your kids' reaction to all this been? Like, what are some of the... What are some moments that they've commented on? Like, what was... How, how did they feel the first time a kid came home? So, they love the babies. Um, okay. My kids, when we made this decision... My husband and I made it, but it was definitely a family decision. Yeah. It's really neat. Twice my kids have sat on panels at MAP classes, which is the Massachusetts Approach to Partnership and Parenting is what the foster parent classes are called. That's the 10 Wednesdays or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they've sat on two panels. They did one this past summer, and then they just did one a couple weeks ago. 
So the one this summer, I literally was in tears listening to my kids talk. What was the panel about? So the concern of what they try to do is they try to bring in people that mm. the participants in the class want to hear from. And some of them had concerns about how their biological children would react to having foster kids in the mm-hmm. home. So um, my family resource worker asked if my kids would would be a part of it. And it was really fun to just sit back and listen to my kids. They were so eloquent. Like, they just spoke from their heart. They talked about, like, how things can be tough and how they have to share their parents. But they really, my kids see it as a mission. Like, our fam- mm. this is our, our family, like, our family project. Our, you know, my kids even feel called by God to do this. Mm. It's just really, my kids have just been absolutely phenomenal. My boys go back and forth about saying prayers and reading a story to the six-year-old at night. You know, everyone loves the two-year-old. When we got the baby on Monday, I brought him home from the hospital. My daughter had... She was supposed to go to friends after school in case I didn't get home. This, this is this past up. Monday. This is this past Monday. Okay. And um, <laughs> she, I watched her... So we live across the street from the school, and I literally watched her not stop running. Like, she ran all the way to the house immediately washed her hands and within like two minutes of being in the house she was snuggled on the couch with the baby she hmm. was just so excited hmm. um that's awesome yeah it just they, so cool. they just and then my son came home from school my 13 year old my 15 year old he'll do whatever you ask he's just mm. not like gonna seek out you know mom can i hold the baby he's just that's right. not him yeah but if i say kyle will you sit on the couch and hold the baby absolutely he'll not a problem and he's got the patience of a saint like he can deal with screaming crying does mm. not bother him my kids have just been, my kids have been awesome. And I think that anyone looking at fostering and having kids, you really need to look at your kids' personalities to figure out what age groups are going to be best. Mm. But we made the decision to not interrupt the birth order. Okay. So we would never take a child within between the ages of 10 and 15. I really think even at this point we decided we're not going to take anything above a four-year-old. Hmm. Just to give a nice buffer between my daughter and right. whatever the next age mm, child is. That's really wise. And what's the value wise. there? What's um, the vision hope there? It's our, you know, our current, you know, we're committed to the kids that we have now, but I think the six-year-old is very codependent on my daughter because okay. mm. he does have an older sister that he was very dependent on mm. um, to the point where my sister, my, my daughter just needs the space. Like mm-hmm. she just definitely needs some time without him. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to say, buddy, you just need to give Katie some space. She doesn't want to play all the time. Yeah. She just wants to, to be by herself. With that buffer, too, they're kind of in the caretake. They're assisting in the caretaker yes. role rather than in a competitive kind of space. Exactly. Because that can unfortunately it's happen in foster relationships before. That, like, they bring in a kid that's the same age or older yes. than, than the kids that are biological that exist in the home. And there's this weird... It can be... And it's not anyone's fault. This weird kind of competitive, like, yes. now that they could be in the same school now or the yes. same class. and Same friends, sports team. And they have the same friends or now they're friends <laughs> with so-and-so or now they like that boy. And, like, yes. <laughs> it just can get a little... It can get a little messy unnecessarily. Absolutely. Um, hmm. So that's really wise. That is and it's, so, so wise. For us, too, as a family, we can do family dates when the little ones go to bed. So they're mm-hmm. usually in bed by 7, and then we get, we'll get we get sushi or we'll watch a movie or we'll be able to do something that, like, our little guy can't have a lot of sugar, so we'll have mm-hmm. dessert after he goes to bed. <laughs> yeah. Because it just, and it gives us time to just focus on them. Mm. And they see that as family time. Yeah. Set apart. Yes. Right? You know, my daughter will, like, crawl into my bed and we'll watch, like, a chick flick or just time with them. 
And I find that if we had an older child, that older child would potentially be up with us. Mm-hmm. I've always said, like, we may not foster forever, but our kids are always going to be there. Yeah. And I always want my kids to mm. know they're wanted, that they're loved, and that I did not put any other child before them. Mm. Huh. You know, we've talked about it many times. My daughter, you know, will be frustrated. And I'm like, we can stop fostering. And she'll say, no, 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 you know, this is, you know, we need to be doing this. But for them to always know that they are my top priority. Right. Yeah. And that all of this can go away and it can just be the five of us that can. And that you're willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. This is interesting because I would, I would say my exposure to foster care is very little. So this is actually fascinating for me just to hear the inside experience, so to speak. Mm-hmm. When I think about foster caring or even just think about me taking on foster kids one day, I think I get stressed about these possible dynamics and that gives me dozens of reasons to say no before even entering into the process. But it sounds like there are healthy ways to do the process that we don't have to you like don't have to be afraid of the decision, so to uh-huh. speak. Like get in there and then figure it out. Like right. so much of it has been that for you. A lot of it has, but I think also I knew what age group we wanted to do. I think that's a big From the thing. beginning. Mm-hmm. I think that and one of the things I keep telling other people too that are you know there's this couple that they'll take like zero to nine year olds i'm like well that's a really big age range right yeah um granted they don't have any other kids in the home people can't get into situations where they just want to help and they'll take any age group you know whatever child because dcf will offer you anything and everything (laughs) they're not gonna hold back did you know what age group you wanted to do before the class or was the class Mm -hmm. so the we knew beforehand we wanted to do little ones okay um and the class solidified that we also know, DCF also, when they call you, they try to give you as much information about the child as possible. So, like, one day we got a call about a six-year-old girl. The hard part was, they called us about the six-year-old girl the day that, like, I literally was only home, like, two hours from returning the baby mm-hmm. that we'd have for six months. So I said no. And you can always say no. They never guilt you into it. There's another time I was offered a five-year-old. I'm like, no, you know, I, I don't have a space for her. So mm-hmm. I've really, I've become really good at saying no. Mm-hmm. But and I, I just that's what I encourage other people. I'm like, don't just say yes, right? Because if it doesn't work out, like, if it's not within the age group that you desire to mm-hmm. to care for, or it's not the proper gender, or it's not the situation, if it doesn't work out, DCF they ask for ten days notice unless it's an emergency to move the child. The last thing you want to do is introduce more trauma to that situation and have mm-hmm. to have the child moved. Ten days so, is a long time. Ten days is a long time, but ten days. We had a little guy with us, and the little guy that was moved to the new foster home, we gave them 94 days notice, and it still took them more than that because there are so few foster homes. Yeah. So you might they might move that child to another home, but that home might only be able to take them for the night. Yeah. So you could be potentially moving a child that's going to be bounced over the next week or two multiple times yeah. because they just keep moving that child <clears throat> from bed to bed. Until they get a permanent. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. My, I have a friend who works in on the South Shore, and she's a social worker, and she does some of that bouncing. Like, so that's part of her job. It's awful. And she said that she has some teens that, she said she had a kid every, for like two weeks straight, they were in a different bed mm-hmm. every single night, because they couldn't find a permanent foster home. Mm-hmm. It just, there wasn't one on the South Shore or anywhere in the area that existed, and it was a different home every single night. And sometimes it was group homes, and sometimes it was someone else's house, and the need is so, so high. I don't know what it is like in other states, but I know in Massachusetts it's... Supposedly it's high everywhere. So our home, our, my, our bed, our baby bed, sat open from June 
mm. until October, and then from October until this past Monday. Part of that comes from once an office. So there's multiple offices. I'm out of our local Cape Ann office, and okay. then like there's a Lynn office. So we have two of our kids are from Lynn. They started mm-hmm. out in Cape Ann, mm-hmm. and now they're on the Lynn office. But offices don't like to share their beds with other offices because as soon you know they'll they'll need it as soon as we fi- it's filled. Right. I could take a baby for the Lynn office, and then it could be the next day that Cape Ann Cape Ann needs right. needs that bed. So it is a little it's a little frustrating for some foster families because we're watching like I would watch another office and they had five infants that need to be placed in homes and I'm like well why is my bed sitting empty Mm -hmm. Um, but also I believe it's in God's timing Um, I strongly believe in that you know things like for instance we had all the piping in our house need to be replaced Mm -hmm. the day after Christmas I'm like thank goodness we didn't have a baby in our house (laughs) right like I had you know the six-year-olds going to camp at the Y had the baby at daycare so I only had to worry about my biological children. Yeah. But I was, like, dealing with space heaters, and I'm dealing with, like, then the hot water heater stopped working. Like, so all these things are happening, and I'm like, it's all about the timing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it, it truly, there's there's such a need for good quality foster families. Yeah. What would you say that, like, a good, what is a good quality foster parent? Like, what kind of values should they have? And if you're, or if you're thinking, if, if, like, people are listening to this and thinking, like, Hey, I, maybe I could do this. Like, what what do you feel like are some things that are really important that a couple or an individual has? Well, first, does people? does Cape Ann have a set of qualifications, so to speak, or characteristics that They're they look for? They're actually statewide standards. Okay. So, if you have fifty square feet, a bed, and a bureau, that's it. <laughs> that's okay. It. Um, children <laughs> under the age of eight. So, like a brother and sister, like our little guys could share a room. Because they're two and mm-hmm. six. Um, once they hit eight, you can't put a boy and a girl in the same room. Mm-hmm. At our house, the six-year-old shares a room with my two boys. Kid needs 50 square feet. That's yeah. interesting and just to hear yeah. out loud. A crib. Yeah. It really is... It, so they really check for physical standards. Okay. I think if someone has the time and the desire to be a foster family, that's all that really matters. Mm-hmm. You have to want to do it. They're... Mm-hmm. What the state gives you to care for these children financially is not much, but there are people out there that do it for the money, which is really sad. Interesting. Because um, I don't yeah. know how they do it for the money. Because we look at like what we look at our finances, and I'm like, we put so much more into our children. Like we we dress them well because my husband and I have already said like we we want these we don't want these kids to look like foster kids. Like I think mm. of like. The movie Annie growing up. and Yeah. I want... Right. We dress him very nicely. We dress the baby nicely. He already feels different. I don't want him to look different. Right. Mm-hmm. Just someone who has a desire to do it. Um, and also, you have to have some grit. Because mm. working with a department isn't always easy. Because It's a good word. Grit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good foster care word. Yes. Yeah. That is it, real. It just... <laughs> I work with some really awesome social workers, but some of their policies just make your head spin. It's just really, really hard. We just took our kids uh, in January to Florida because one of the things my husband, this is, we, we took our, our foster daughter a couple of years ago, yep. but we wanted to make sure he had the experience. If he did go home to mom, we, we knew that he probably wouldn't get to go to Disney ever mm-hmm. so we were able to take him to Disney for a day um, we did Legoland for a day and it was just 
it was it really was a fun experience to watch him. Mm. Disney was a little overwhelming for him. Legoland wasn't nearly as busy, so it was an easier <laughs> park to go through. Yeah. Uh-huh. He got to go. You know, the one thing he, he, he would keep talking about was, I went on my first roller coaster. Uh-huh. That was his mm. big excitement, was his first roller coaster. But it was his first plane ride, too. So just being able to, like, to look at my kids, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is your fifth trip to Disney. <laughs> and this is his first, like, just my kids <clears throat> even to be able to appreciate Right. You know, we've been able to take a lot of vacations, and you know, he may never. This may, if he, you know, goes home to mom, this could be mm. the one. He has one trip that he's like, I went to Disney when I was six, mm. and just you know, to be able to say that. So, I think just anyone that is willing to invest in a child. A lot of people. I, the one thing I do hate hearing is, I could never do that. I would get so attached. How do you let them go? I, I'd want to, you know put them in my car and drive out of state. And I'm like, no. I'm like, I, I feel like my job is to just help them heal while they're with me as much as possible. And just to take care of them until their parents can do what they need to do. And some parents never do what they need to do. Some do. I get so excited when they do. Um, DCF gives them a list. It's, it's a, they have tasks that they have to complete. And sometimes you look at the list of tasks and you say to yourself, okay, I have to, you know, I might have to go to therapy and work on myself, or mm. I might have to do a treatment <clears throat> program, or you really have to be careful to not judge the situation, because I'm like, oh, I could do those things. Mm. But you also, you know, I live in a nice home. I don't have to work if I don't want to. I love uh-huh. my job, but my husband makes a good income, so I don't have to worry about how the bills are getting paid, because there's right. money to do that. Right. Yeah. And some of these families it's just generational yeah. you're dealing with you know they were they were foster kids or dcf was part of their life when they were mm. younger um or their parents drank or used drugs or whatever it's just it's just ju- systemic <coughs> too it is yeah so it's that's terrifying it is yeah to have compassion for them and to just sit back and i mean i just i pray for for the parents of the foster kids in my home mm. a lot because I do believe we have a very loving God and he loves them. He loves these children. He loves me. He, you know, and just, um, sometimes you just need to intercede and, and pray for them because mm. they need all the extra help that they can get to get to a good place where they can be with their children again. Mm-hmm. But I think that you have to be willing to allow these children to attach to you. So, that would be hugging a child if they want to be hugged. We have a little guy. He doesn't. He wants to initiate, you know, the hugs and stuff. He told uh-huh. us he doesn't like to be touched. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, I'm here. You want a hug? Come get one. Uh-huh. Um, but yet, with the eight-week gold when we got her almost two years ago, I would wear in a carrier on me. I was holding her all the times, all her bottles. I would hold her. I wouldn't bottle prop. Um, and now she just wants to be with me all the time. We are mm-hmm. definitely attached. The benefit of that is that if she gets adopted, or even if she goes home to mom, it will be easier for her to, because she was able to attach to me, Mm -hmm. she will then be able to attach to somebody else. Yeah. Same with this little guy that we have now. I mean, I've only had him for three days, but I wear him. I hold him for all his feeds. Um, I talk to him. 
And it's so important because... So important for early attachment. Yes. Oh, so crucial. Also, like, they if that they are skin to skin. Yes. If you, like, can feel, hear your heartbeat. Because, like, no matter where they go, like, and that's, I mean, I mean, in my work, I see so many kids, if they are neglected early, early on, it is so challenging. Because the, the fight or flight, that early attachment, early attachment trauma can yes. be so damaging yes. to kids. Mm. And our brains are very powerful and so beautiful and complex and can be rewired i mean that is so beautiful because like you are saving that child from so much they have so much potential because they are connecting and attaching to you and can ease and can then attach to another person because i think people would probably fear that is like i'm gonna get so attached and then they're gonna be so traumatized but that's not true like that's not how it works if they attach to you they then can attach to someone else it's going to be hard, but they'll it'll be okay because they are emotionally processing that. Absolutely. Mm. And it means that they've had emotional connection. If it's hard for them, it means that they've experienced love and attachment. And then they will want to seek that in someone else. Mm-hmm. So it is like... That's you know, kind of incredible. So, so important. Yeah. It and, is incredible. And it's that, really beautiful. And I figure it, it hurts, like, losing our first little girl. It was days, like it was, it was so hard giving her back. But the amount of pain that I went through does not compare to what her parents were going through not being with her. Mm. It doesn't compare to what it could have been had I not let her attach to me. You know, you think about these kids in like orphanages and other Mm -hmm. countries and the cribs are just lined up and they don't get the love and affection that they need. Mm -hmm. I allow this, you know, little girl to be like her favorite place was to be right in like right on me in front of me looking out at everything helping me cook clean you know whatever mm-hmm. she wanted to be right on me and because i allowed that it's so fun to watch her now i mean she was away from her parents for 6 months but you would never know that i do a um a photo album for every kid that comes to my home and leaves us and mm-hmm. i made the album specifically with no pictures of my family in it it was just of her because if her parents choose to never tell her that she was in foster care for six months, there's no evidence of that. A small sliver of me in a picture where she, we were supposed to go on, I think it was like the um, Toy Story ride, and then she pooped. So I had to get out of line. But the benefit of that was I found um, a character me great that nobody uh. was at. So she got, to, <laughs> at four months old, she got to have alone time with Mickey and Minnie. Yeah, yeah. So that's the only thing is someone took a picture from behind me of her, like, touching Mickey Mouse. And you can only just see a little bit of my arm. Other than that, this whole album is Mm. six months of her, the first six months of her life. But there's no mention of our family at all. Mm. So, and I don't think her parents will ever tell her she was in foster care. Um, I also don't think that they need to tell her she was in foster care. Mm. Um, Because she's also, she's got that strong attachment to them now. That's so fun to watch, but also it makes me feel so good to know that I was a part of that mm. because of of how we spent mm-hmm. her first, we spent six months with her. So you help cultivate that, yes, and make that possible, which is so cool, so, so beautiful. You're hitting some sweet spots right now. <laughs> this is, I was not expecting this. <laughs> Just to wrap up here, we we got in a conversation recently, Kira, where. Mm. We were talking about the future of foster care and, like, different models and stuff. Mm. Have you put any thought into that? Where is foster care going? Is it only going to get worse? I mean, that's the fear. 
that I, I have. The hard part is the opioid crisis. Okay. I, you know, like, you know, you're here all the time. The opioid crisis is so bad. I really feel like the that drug use is a huge portion of it. But I also do believe that housing has to be more affordable. Hmm. I, I just, I, I, I do think it's going to keep getting worse. Also, th- certain things can trigger it. When Baby Bella, do you remember the Baby Bella case down in Boston? Yeah. Her body washed up. That's yeah. the one you told me about, Kira? That's one of them. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. yeah, when, and there was a, one recently, too. Oh, there was? Yeah, not not around here. Oh, okay. Um, but that also could, stirs up how DCF does things. Social workers only come out to visit kids once a month. Like, the Boston, the social worker could have been out on a Saturday, child was killed on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and then nobody comes out for another month to check on that child. Mm-hmm. And the visits tend to, you know, some social workers will slack. Um, we had a social worker on a case that... We got the little boy October 23rd. I didn't have a social worker in my house until May, uh, March 1st, which is unheard of. They're supposed to come out once a month. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, I've only had that happen once, but and it hasn't happened again since. Is that a resource issue? Is that a culture cultural problem there? Um, like- sometimes it's a social worker issue. Okay. It's, mm. um, sometimes the department is... They're so desperate for good social workers mm-hmm. that sometimes they have to... Kind of like they're desperate for good foster homes... Sometimes they will hang on to foster homes that are not good because mm-hmm. it's a bed. And there's high turnover. Yes. And there's high caseloads. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's like so many. I mean, yes, like sometimes it's just the social worker It is not great and just doesn't understand and is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. And then there's so many other pieces. Like right. they got 30 cases. They got 30 kids. And they have, and they be, got like seven who are seriously in crisis. Bouncing that, that there's like they have five that demand all their attention, but they really actually have fifteen more that they really need to be. But they're like, oh, but that home's good, so like we're not gonna really worry about that. Kid. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's well taken care of. Like, we're was, not gonna really worry. He about was doing great, and I was do- fine. But you know, nobody was coming out to check on him. Yeah. And what if I wasn't still, a good home? Still not okay. No. Yeah. And but also these case, I feel bad for these caseworkers. For instance, this. This little boy was one of six. That was just one case that she had. So a, a caseworker could have six to eight kids in a family. That's one case. Yeah. And then times that by 15, 20 cases, those, that's a lot of kids you to have to get up keep. to like 40 kids yes. that you are responsible for. Every month. Yes, to right. see in home. And not necessarily right in the area. No. Like kids will be placed, placed out in like Springfield, uh-huh. up in Lawrence. So you're driving all over to check in and and you're right like some kid could be something could happen the next day Uh and like we're putting kids in we put parents in these classes and stuff like that but it is a risk like we're we're trusting these people with these children and we don't really know right it is such a it's a beautiful risk and hope and so many wonderful things come from it but it is it's a scary it can be a really scary thing Mm -hmm. Um, I was. I wanted to ask you about the future thing. I was reading an article about in Europe. Some some of the things that they're doing is they're creating these like foster home communities. Have you heard about this? I haven't. Um, where two people are hired by the state. Um, I think they're starting in like Switzerland or something, and it's the homes are designed to be foster homes, and. Uh, two people are hired, preferably couple couples, and they manage the home. Like, that's their job. Wow. Like, a full salary income to be the parents of all these children. So the homes could be, like, there's 10 kids in the home. 
and uh-huh. that is their job is to manage their lives and to create a home environment for them and then kids kind of come in and out but that's their full-time position and then there's a couple of houses next to each other so it's not I don't think it's like completely segregated but they keep these houses in a community so there's other couples that are there too I was wondering what you what you think of that what do you think of that idea I think if you could find people that are willing to do that that would be mm. amazing I love the the support network I've built. Hmm. I attend um, a support group once a month locally, mm-hmm. so that and even when like when I need respite, I can reach out to another foster mom. Um, my social worker likes to coordinate all that herself, but like I can check with them ahead of time and say, mm. "Hey, if we were to go away, right, would you be available to take?" And then I had another uh, foster mom. We only had five kids in our home because we can only have six kids total. Mm-hmm. So when we had five. You know, she would take our little guy for a night, and I would take her little guy for a night. Because mm. they were buddies. So they got to have a sleepover with each other. Nice. And they got a night off from their little guy, and we got a night off from our little guy. Because they do bring a lot of stuff with them, baggage, mm. just from what they've been through. And it's sometimes it can be a very heavy weight to carry. So to be able to take a breather for a night is really a gift. Mm. I like the, that idea. I think it would be great. But I just, at the same time, I'm like, I don't like foster care being seen as a job. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah. Have you heard of the Hershey School down in Pennsylvania? No. So uh, I have a friend that used to work at the school, and it was similar. So kids would come out of, it could be like difficult situations or whatever, and they mm-hmm. would, Milton Hershey started this school mm-hmm. where they would live with house parents. So similar idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they loved it, and other families would come in and like cover for them so they could have some time away. But at the same time, I... I want to see foster families do it because they really want to be doing this. Yeah. Um, if, if a couple did do it, I would love to see one of them as a therapist. You know, just to have, to not just be two people that are doing this because you want to make sure they're doing it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Doing it 24-7 for, say, 10 children, mm-hmm. that's a lot of work. That's a lot of coordination. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that they are po- properly educated. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of little personalities to put in the same house. But I just think that people need a willingness to, you know, just to look into it. And it, and also, too, there are some people like, oh, I could never foster. But um, there's so many different ways you can get involved in foster care now. I was trying to wait to find a way to, to get more involved with my agency. Mm-hmm. So um, I found this organization called the Forgotten Initiative. And it's out of Illinois. Um, but there are advocates. So I'm a volunteer advocate. There's mm-hmm. advocates throughout the country. There's like... I think there's 35-ish, between 35 and 40 advocates now. Their whole purpose is to bring joy and purpose to the foster care community. So what I have been able to do recently is I've gotten clothing for foster families that need it. Um, There's a kinship placement that recently um, happened. So, you know, she got the crib. I got her clothes. I got her Mm -hmm. diapers because she's getting um, her husband's daughter's baby is coming from a different state Mm -hmm. so he'll be living with them soon so just to help her get set up because it's when especially kinship situations it's family family you don't really ever expect that you're gonna have to raise your grandchildren Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so my goal is to help these people out as much as possible i dropped off two car seats or i had a someone else drop off two car seats to the lynn office Mm -hmm. because foster families needed car seats so we also want to work with the at-risk families so these are the families that social workers are working with where the kids are still in the home. A month or so ago, I was able to drop a car seat at the, the Cape Ann office for a social worker. She was working with a family. It was a fifth baby. 
he was 27 pounds and he was still in an infant car seat um, at a year old. Wow. So I was able to purchase by with donated gift cards a convertible car seat so mm-hmm. that he was safer. Mm-hmm. You know, someone donated the gift cards to pay for that car seat. Right. People have donated clothes to me. I have a foster closet out of my basement in my garage. So I'm able to put together needs for uh, family. I had a friend that she called me up in hysterics because she's like, they're coming, they're coming, it happened. And she received back a little girl that she'd had three times, that has been had been removed two other times. Wow. So she had nothing. They literally came with nothing. So I was able to, I gave her a set of butt beds because mm-hmm. we had um, we had a set of butt beds in our garage from our kids. And I was able to give her the bunk beds. I was able to give clothes for both children. Mm. And it felt really good to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was so stressed because she had two different children, you know, two children that were adding to her house. She went from three kids to five kids very fast, and she mm. was not expecting that at all. Hmm. So, there, you know, people have been able to help in that way. You know, some, you know, my social worker dropped off diapers at my house today. Mm. Um, which I can use with my little guy. Right. Yeah. So, or even being cleared to be a babysitter. Absolutely. Like you just gotta, you just got they just gotta core you yep. and look at your, they look at all your stuff. But that can be a big. I mean, foster families I've worked with, that can be a huge problem. Is that they don't have enough people that are willing to sit, or like they have to get screened, they have to go through all this process. And so, if people are ever willing just to like get approved, you know, someone who has a foster kid, and you're willing just to go through the process, and you can be accessible for the parents just to have a break. Cult. No, it's not. Like I had to. So I got the baby on Monday. I had a client on Tuesday morning, and a friend of mine. She wanted to be Cory Jacks because I think eventually down the road she'll become a foster parent. Mm. But she came over and snuggled the baby for half an hour. And when he fell asleep, she emptied my dishwasher and refilled it. Mm-hmm. And just any little, like someone brought us over at dinner at night. Especially the first couple days. It's kind of, there's so many things, so many people mm. in your home. There's a probation officer that comes out and looks at your house to make sure they want to see where the child is sleeping. Mm-hmm. You have to take a child, so there you have to take him to the doctors within the first seven days and within right around the 30-day mark to be checked out the doctor so they can get checked mm-hmm. out to make sure everything is okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, like, so our little guy, I took him to the doctors yesterday for his, within the first seven days. There's early intervention, which every child that's in DCF custody under the age of three has to be involved in early intervention. Because a lot oh, of them... really? Yes. I didn't actually know that. Yes. Oh, that's great. So I love I mean, early intervention. a lot. But yeah, that's great. They're awesome. <laughs> they're awesome. I like them a lot. They're, they're so great. So... I had all those things lined up even before he came home from the hospital because mm-hmm. they gave me a target date when he was coming home. So I have paperwork tomorrow. They're coming to evaluate him next week. Awesome. You know, even so, there's the WIC program, mm-hmm. women, infant, and children. So, formula, these babies are all in formula. Formula is really expensive. So, I had my appointment today to go get him certified so that he can get, so I can, you know, get the formula for him. They cover 70% of it. Um, wow. But the woman at the WIC office gave me an extra can because I brought her a can of I knew a kind that I knew he couldn't use that somebody had given me. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She's like, how about we trade? And she gave me um, huh. one that he could use. So there's a lot of appointments that take place. Hmm. So we've had two meals dropped off in just the last couple of days, and that is so helpful because I don't have to think about what is for mm-hmm. dinner. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so even it's just it's simple little things. Right. I had no newborn boy clothes. And once I found out this little guy was arriving, 
he is now fully clothed. It was yeah. I had someone drop off more clothes today because I, I we, this is our first newborn baby boy. Wow. Wow. I think if anything, foster care has really mellowed me out. I'm very type A, very OCD at times about like having all my ducks mm-hmm. in a row. Right. This has really taught me patience because I know I can't do this in my own strength. Mm-hmm. And you know, some people are. I've, I'm part of a, a online support group, and a lot of them don't have a faith in God. And I'm like, I just really question sometimes, like, how do you do it? Like, mm-hmm. how do you do it on your own strength? Like, how do you not quit? Because right. I always know he's open 24-7. He can, he'll chat with me at any time. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I just, I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, Ned, thank you so much. Thank this you. Was, thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. This was this wonderful. Is, I have to say, this has become... A very healthy obsession. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Great plug. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thank you both again. And uh, until next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of My Obsession. If you enjoyed this conversation, it'd be a huge help to me and others if you rate and review the show on iTunes. That really does go a long way. Finally, I want to talk about your obsession with you. If you'd like to appear on the show, email us at myobsessionpodcast at gmail.com. My Obsession is produced by me in my bedroom while drinking a cup of coffee. All guests' opinions are their own. Music is written and provided by the artist State Shirt. I am Marcus Privet.